Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight from 1995, directed by Ernest Dickerson, written by Ethan Rafe, Cyrus Voris, and Mark Bishop, starring Jada Pinkett Smith, William Sadler, Billy Zane, Thomas Hayden Church, and Dick Miller. And in this film, presented by the HBO series Tales from the Crypt, when a mysterious man on the run from the law takes refuge in a rundown boarding house, we learn that the police are the least of his concerns when it's revealed that he is being chased by a gang of eternal demons. And if you're new to the show, we'll start by discussing some spoiler-free background info on this film before we transition to a spoiler-filled plot rundown and review. So if you haven't seen this film, you can hang out with us until the musical interlude after which the spoilers will begin. And uh, Ashwin, have you, have you ever seen this film? No, first watch for me. How about you? Nice. No, no, I've seen it many times. It was a uh, a regular at slumber parties in, when I was 13 with a couple of my buddies. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, so this one had a lot of nostalgia for me, so it'll be interesting to see how it how it holds up. That's awesome. You guys would just like rent it from the video store, or did you have it on like HBO or something? I think my one buddy had a couple of older brothers who were pretty into horror movies, and I think they owned it on VHS. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And did you ever see the HBO series or anything like that? Yeah, you know, I, I totally forgot about it, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think I must have seen an episode or two because, uh, yeah, I definitely remembered, uh, you know, the opening sequence in this and like it's become so iconic now. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, I didn't have HBO growing up, so it, it must have been in, like someone else's house or something. Uh, did you used to watch that show? Yeah, we would kind of half watch it. I remember we would try to make sure we saw the intro because we loved the intro. Oh, like the the music and like the video of the guy, like going down the stairs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The same thing we see here in the beginning of this film. And then I think once the story would start, we'd kind of, you know, start dicking around and and lose interest. But really, I don't really remember many of them. You wouldn't stick around for like the nudity or anything? Um, I'm sure we always had one eye on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Just paying attention in case. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was such a like a hit show back in the day. I think, right? It was kind of groundbreaking for HBO to have such uh, an uncensored show that covered these kind of topics. Yeah, it was a, it was groundbreaking for sure, and it was just a big deal. I feel like it was pretty popular for HBO. Yeah, right. And um, it's too bad, like you can't find it on HBO anymore. Like uh, there, there seems to be some kind of issue with the rights or something. Oh, I didn't even think about that because we, we don't really have HBO or HBO Now or anything like that, but. Okay, yeah. I didn't know about that, so it's not on there. Bummer. No, no. I mean, I, I, maybe you can like rent it on Amazon or something. Uh, yeah, it, it, it'd be amazing to like have access to these. Uh, what was it like, seven or eight seasons? Yeah, ninety-three episodes. Okay, yeah, that'd be awesome to have access to that. Yeah, I think I'll go through the whole uh, timeline of the Tales from the Crypt franchise uh, pretty soon, but. Um, this movie itself is noticeable because, it, or notable, it appears on a lot of uh, lists like what are some good horror movies from the 90s because horror fans tend to think 90s was the worst decade for horror. <laughs> so this you, is often brought up on those lists. Do you agree about that? Yeah, but I, I still think it was pretty good. I, I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe uh, it's hard to say because I wasn't like keeping up with the yearly releases back then, but there are yeah. just quite a few that are, are very good from the 90s. That's true. But I, I guess like in terms of where we are now, uh, 80s like films, I feel like are, have aged pretty well and like you can still appreciate those. I, I feel like it's rare to find a, a good 90s film. Like, yeah, there's definitely a few that were really good and stand out and are still like cult classics. But, uh, I, you know, compared to, like, the other decades around the 90s, uh, I do feel like there's, like, a shortage there of movies that have held up. Yeah, yeah, I think volume of, of good horror movies was low, and, 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 yeah, even the volume of classics, even though there were definitely some, is low, too. Yeah, do you have, but I, I kind of wonder if, like, in 10 years that'll change and, like, 90s will become, like, what we think of the 80s today, and suddenly, like, all these classics will be popping up or something. Yeah, I think it'll always be looked upon as at least a weak decade. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another like... reason this movie is notable is for having a black director in Ernest Dickerson, and I don't want to spoil anything yet, but for now we'll just say that Jada Pinkett Smith's role is significant in the history of uh, black representation in horror films as well, so yeah, we'll cool. dig more into that later. Yeah, have, are you familiar with uh, Ernest Dickinson? Dickerson? 
Um, I wasn't really until I saw Horror Noir, uh, that documentary on Shudder. Um, and he's kind of just one of the regular talking heads, if you will, throughout the documentary. Okay, yeah, he seems like he's still like pretty active. He is, a, yeah, he's a very active uh, director and was a cinematographer as well. I think he does a little bit less of that now, but he's pretty prolific. And some of his uh, big name stuff is mentioned in our Ohio Connection by Alex, so I won't, I won't step on his toes too much there. Cool. But uh, before we keep going on the background info, should we make our little Lights, Camera, No announcement? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, listeners, we are going to be guests on the Lights, Camera, No podcast. As you're hearing this, it should be this Friday that their episode will come out. But they also record on Twitch. So if you want to see us record live on Twitch, we should be doing that February 3rd, the night we're releasing this episode. Um, at 7.30 Eastern Time, and we'll post the link on our socials. So if you want to see uh, our our weird little faces, you can go check that out. Uh, we'll be joining Whitney and Lauren to talk about Face Off, which I'm really excited to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. That's going to be so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm pumped to talk about a non-horror movie. We've never done that. Are, are they treating it as a non-horror film? Because they're, they're, uh, they're usually horror, right? Um, they are not strictly horror, even though they tend to cover horror. Mm, okay. I thought maybe they were, like, blurring the lines here and, like, trying to categorize uh, face-off as horror, which, I mean, I could see, like, you're basically uh, tearing someone's face off and putting on someone else. Yeah, but, yeah, I don't think they're going to try to go that route, but I have a feeling you will. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm really excited for that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so check us out. Keep an eye on our socials for the link to the Twitch. And uh, if you can't make it to that, then um, the Friday after you're hearing this episode, I guess it's Friday, February 5th, uh, we'll, Lights, Camera, No will be releasing an episode on Face Off that we are guests on. And just go listen to Lights, Camera, No in general. But anyway, Tales from the Crypt, um, as we mentioned, it was an HBO series. It ran from 1989 to 1996. There were 93 episodes but it was based on a 1950s EC comic series of the same name. Every issue of that comic had like four or five self-contained stories. So the comic itself was an anthology as well, from what I understand. Though I've never even seen one of you, Ash. No. One of those comics? Uh, like seen like a physical copy of the comics? Yeah. No, no, that'd be, you think they're like available out there? They gotta be like pretty vintage and imagine pretty I, pricey to get a hold of. I think they've done like reissues that are cheaper. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll have to try to get my hands on a few of those. Is that similar to Creepshow? Wasn't that like also a comic? Um, it was, Creepshow was not a comic, but it was an homage to EC horror comics specifically mm. and especially Tales from the Crypt. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, the, the HBO series from 89 to 96, it was hosted by the Crypt Keeper, who was a reanimated corpse designed by Kevin Yeager, who's renowned uh, for designing Chucky uh, from the Child's Play series. Uh, the Tales from the Crypt theme was composed by Danny Elfman, which I can totally hear now that I heard that fact. Yeah, I was really surprised to see his name on this movie, but uh, yeah. it's huge. And I don't think he did any of the music for the movie itself, aside from that opening tale, opening and closing Tales from the Crypt theme. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and the, the franchise hit the big screen for the first time in 1972 with a film simply titled Tales from the Crypt that was an anthology horror film. Um, and, and that was... 19- oh, go oh, ahead. That, that was before the TV show, though, right? Yeah, yeah, so that happened before the TV show even happened because the show didn't air until 1989. And uh, I, was that like a? Was that in the U.S. or was that like a British production? It was a British film from Amicus. Okay, got it. Yeah. So so it went from comic to first it, it, they they had a movie in the seventies, then TV show in the eighties before this movie. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, and a movie in nineteen eighty titled Creep Show that wasn't associated with Tales from the Crypt, but was essentially an homage. Oh yeah, gotcha. Um, and then in the midst of the live action HBO series. In 1993, there was a kids' TV show called Tales from the Crypt Keeper, an animated series that ran for two seasons, 93 to 94. Oh, yeah. Did you watch that? I loved it as a kid. I did watch it. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think I feel like I caught an episode or two. That was, that was a fun one, I think. Yeah, it was fun. And then it had a comeback season in 1999, which I think by that time I was a little too old. <laughs> you got out of it. In 1994, yeah. there was even a Tales from the Crypt Keeper board game. Oh, man. <laughs> 1996 to 1997, there was a kid's game show called Secrets of the Crypt Keeper's Haunted House. Wow, yeah. I wasn't They've... aware of that. <laughs> Me neither. They really milked this thing. Yeah. And then in 1996, there was another Tales from the Crypt film called Bordello of Blood. Uh, that was the follow-up. It was supposed to be a trilogy of Tales from the Crypt movies, Demon Knight, Bordello of Blood, and something else, but Bordello of a Blood... Bordello of Blood was a box office bomb, so they they stopped they stopped short of the trilogy mm, yeah Ashwin did Which, you have a post credit scene in your copy of Demon Knight wherever you I, rented it from I, I did I actually I just went back and watched it today because uh, I read about it and uh, yeah basically the, the, the guy pops up right and he says to keep an eye out for the next film yeah which he says is titled Dead Easy mm-hmm. but that, that one never even got through the it, the script was never even completed and they, they just scrapped it Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's that's too bad. I, I don't get it, though, because it's not like this film was like a huge financial success. It was only like $21 million at the box office. So Yeah, how... yeah, right? Bordello of Blood cost them... I didn't see a budget on Demon Knight. Bordello of Blood cost $2.5 and only made five point six. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, $20 yeah, million isn't amazing, but five point six is quite a drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Interesting. Um... From Dust Till Dawn and The Frighteners were both briefly considered to be to become part of the Tales from the Crypt film umbrella, but that never I, happened. I saw that. I, I didn't quite understand that. I mean, the, those were stories, they, they didn't come from the comics, right? Yeah, and Demon Knight didn't come from the comics either. Um, sure. Okay. All the, from what I could tell, all the episodes of the HBO series came directly from comics, each individual story. Okay. I don't think they did that. They did do that again for the 1972 film. Not again, because the film was prior to the show. Sure. Um, but I don't think... I think the Crypt Keeper, the Crypt Keeper, the animated series, I don't think those were taken from the comics. Okay. Interesting. Because those had to be softer for kids. So when we talk about this film and From Dust Till Dawn and The Frighteners being part of like that universe, um, these are original stories that weren't in the comics, but they're being presented by Tales of the Crypt? Yeah. Yep. Um, in fact, Demon Knight was written, the script was written before the HBO series even uh, hmm. came into existence. Got it. Okay. So, so they, they were just kind of grabbing scripts to see what, what could be a good fit for the Tales from the Crypt name. Oh, interesting. Cool. Yeah. So uh, in the end, it sounds like you had this film um, and then like Ritual in 2002? Is yeah. Right? I didn't understand fully what Ritual was, like a loose... Tales from the Crypt? It didn't have the Tales from the Crypt name, did it? I don't think so. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I don't think so. It's 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 weird because like even this film, like, uh, well, yeah, when you search it, like, not all the time, like all the time, that that Tales of the Crypt thing isn't always like associated with it, right? Right. Depending on what website or whatever database you're looking in, the yeah. film will either be titled Demon Knight or Tales from the Crypt colon Demon Knight. Exactly. Yeah. So is. Yeah, and so, but would you say then there were three films? It was this one, um, the uh, Bordello of Blood, and then Ritual? Like, do you think those three are Tales of the Crypts? Or I, wouldn't, the Crypt? I wouldn't count Ritual. Okay, because that one's kind of on a gray area. Yeah, I, well, I've never seen it. I don't know enough about it. The Crypt yeah. Keeper was in Bordello of Blood and Demon Knight. I don't think he was in Ritual. Mm, okay. So, th- yeah, these movies kind of have like a framing story, even though they're not anthology films. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you already mentioned box office of $21 million for this film. Rotten Tomatoes critic score is 38%. User score is 64%. IMDb is 6.7 out of 10. Letterbox is 3.4 out of 5. Uh, special effects were done by Todd Masters, who worked on Snakes on a Plane, Slither, True Blood, many other things. And the cool. prosthetics were done by Scott Wheeler, who worked on Us, Get Out, 300, Cabin in the Woods, etc. Nice. Wow. That's yeah. great. Yeah, a lot of practical effects in this one, so we can discuss in our review how, how those looked. Sure. Yeah, man. Anything else? Well, I know there's a little bit more background on Bruce, uh, Bruce, Ernest Dickerson. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say Billy Zane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, this is quite a cast. 
I know, I know. I was, I was surprised, man. Like a, a lot of big names here. Yeah, and William Sadler, which we just saw him last year in VFW. Oh, he was in that. Yeah. Damn. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, and, but I wonder, like, like, when this film came out, like, these guys, uh, probably, like, like, Titanic hadn't happened yet, so Billy Zane, he couldn't have been that big, right? Yeah, and, I don't think, he was also in The Phantom, I can't remember if that came out before this or not. Hmm, okay. And Back to the Future Part 2. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's in there, I don't remember him in that film, do you? Um, I think he was one of Biff's, like, cronies. Oh, okay, it's kind of like a side character. Yeah. And, and we've got Dick Miller, who was in Chopping Mall, Gremlins and Gremlins 2, Terminator, yeah. Howling, Night of the Creeps, lots of stuff. Right, yeah, yes. Yeah, interesting to see him on screen again. And then, yeah, even like Jada, she, she wasn't, uh, I, don't, I don't think, I don't feel like she was like huge at this point, was she? I don't think she was huge. She had been in Menace to Society before this. Oh, right, yeah. Which is kind of how she caught uh, Ernest Dickerson's eye. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Pretty neat. Uh, the, the one other question I had for you, uh, you know, I, I know you don't like dabble too much in horror television today, um, but you have, do you, do you feel like we have shows that are kind of war, hitting where Tales of the Crypt was like that type of genre and that kind of schlock uh, on TV today? There is a creep show TV series on Shudder. Oh, is it any good? Yeah, it's pretty good. Ah, all right. Yeah, yeah so I mean, that is essentially, I mean, that is... <laughs> like an homage to Creepshow the movie, which was an homage to Tales from the Crypt comics. So that's sure. that's very much the uh, the closest thing. Got it. And I, I, it looks like they try to do uh, a reboot of Tales of the Crypt for a while. And like the last one even had like M. Night Shyamalan tied to it, but it, it got canned. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that they were thinking about doing that. I can't imagine him like copying this style because Tales of the Crypt is like such a unique uh, blend of like horror and like uh, cheesiness, but like, you know, scares. Yeah. Uh, hard to imagine M. Night Shyamalan in that space. The visit gets a little bit close to what this vibe is. Um, not quite there, but that makes me think he maybe could do it. You think, yeah, yeah, maybe. That'd, yeah. that'd be pretty cool to see. There was also, I forgot to mention in the history of the franchise, a uh, brief web radio series um, that was <laughs> once upon a time on Audible, like a Tales oh, from the cool. Crypt uh, audio just, drama. Cool, just like scary stories? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Nice. Sounds like that's no longer legally available anywhere, but you can probably find it, download it somewhere online. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool to check out. Yeah. I, I like the format a lot. Like, uh, these episodes are what, like half an hour? Um, Boy, I don't remember. I thought they were an hour long and each contained two stories. Oh, Shoot. okay. That's something I feel like we should know, but I, I do not know that. Yeah, it's hard, hard to remember. It was a long time ago. All I remember was the intro and keeping an eye out for nudity. <laughs> yeah. Same. <laughs> uh, Switching back and forth between that and scrambled Cinemax. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, those are the days. Yeah. Uh, okay, man. Well, any other background info before we hit the Ohio connection? Nope, nothing else. Okay. Well, we have our friend Alex connect every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. Alex owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. Temporarily closed, but uh, go check them out when they open their patio again in the spring. Gosh, hopefully at some point things will be better and you can just go check them out without any hesitation. But... Uh, Alex says, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight is a film by longtime director and cinematographer Ernest Dickerson. He is a longtime collaborator of Spike Lee's, having met while the two attended NYU's Tisch School for the Arts. He worked with Lee as cinematographer on the iconic films Malcolm X, Do the Right Thing, Jungle Fever, and She's Gotta Have It. As a solo director, his TV credits include episodes of The Wire, Once Upon a Time, and Bosch. He's also made several of his own films, such as Bulletproof, Never Die Alone, and the crime thriller Juice, his debut feature, uh, which starred Tupac Shakur, by the way. Oh, cool. Uh, many regard Dickerson as a pioneer for black filmmakers. In an August 2016 interview with the News Herald, up-and-coming black filmmaker Stephen C- Capel Jr. cited Dickerson and Juice specifically as a classic, influencing his filmmaking style. Capel Jr., who went on to direct Creed II and an upcoming Transformers film, made his directorial debut with an indie film titled The Land, a drama set and principally filmed in Cleveland, Ohio. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and I'll add to uh, um, Ernest Dickerson's TV experience many episodes of The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah, right. I saw that. 
Yeah. That's pretty cool. And I don't know this for sure, but he made it sound like in an interview that he had directed the most, aside from Greg Nicotero, who was the EP of the show. Really? On The Walking Dead? Yeah, but I, I didn't verify that. It, it sounds like he is definitely up there in terms of directors who have done the most episodes of The Walking Dead. That's really cool. I, I, I kind of just figured he had done like one or two episodes, but that's awesome. He's done a handful of those. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay, cool. listeners. Well, we are about to spoil this film, um, but Ashwin, before we do that, do you mind if I take a quick break to get a quick drink of water? Oh, yeah. Sure. Go for it. All right. Thanks. Okay, man, I'm back. Sorry that took so long. Ah, oh, no worries. You, you okay? Yeah, as I was walking to the kitchen, I saw Billy Zane outside my window trying to seduce me, and <laughs> needless to say, he succeeded. Yeah, I mean, that's impossible to resist. <laughs> yeah, right? That voice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn. He's a, yeah. He, he, he's a looker. You know, he really is. I I've, I've remember thinking as a kid that he was so badass. And yeah. I was not disappointed on this one. And I was also, it was like mingled with like, damn, he's also really handsome. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's got like that perfect combination of like being like this uh, asshole, but like a really good looking asshole. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's and I'm awesome. always on the lookout for a, uh, I think it was bald by choice in this movie, but I'm always on the lookout for, for bald, handsome men to, to model myself uh, after. <laughs> yeah. 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 I feel like he's, he's definitely on the one of the top contenders. Yeah. Dude, there was a scene where it was pretty subtle. I think it was shortly after there was, um, a car attempted car theft at a diner mm-hmm. and the police were checking it out. And, uh, Billy Zane was like talking to the the victims as well, and the victim's wife was just like really like ogling him. Oh, <laughs> it, it was like really subtle. You might not even caught it, but she was just kind of like you could tell she was spooning. <laughs> oh, I gotta go back and see that. That's that's really funny. Yeah, it was fun. She was kind of like squirming and smiling and stuff. You, you think that was scripted or it was just a Billy Zane effect? Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They they were just like you know what we'll keep that. Yeah, because <laughs> the cameraman was probably doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole it. crew and the cast <laughs> yeah. were all, they had to yeah. do a lot of retakes, just like, everybody stop looking at Billy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's tough to concentrate with that guy on set. Cover your ears when he speaks. <laughs> it's it's crazy. I, I don't think I, I recognize him. Oh, the only time I've seen him is, is Titanic, and I, I just watched that a few weeks ago. But like, uh, you've you obviously know him from this and from other films as well. Yeah, he, um, he. I think he has a pretty big cameo in Zoolander, but I haven't seen that film in so long. Oh yeah, me neither. Right. Yeah, yeah I got to go back and, and watch that part. You know, I, I saw him in person in, in Chicago. He's, I think he's from Chicago. And uh, he was, uh, he, there was a production of The Sound of Music uh, that happened like a few years ago, and he plays the the dad, and it was, it was pretty good. He's, nice. So you, you saw him, like, on stage. Yeah, yeah, I saw him on stage. And, yeah, I, you know, his. I, I was wondering, like, how he's going to, like, mask his good-lookingness enough to, like, get everyone to focus on the story and the other characters. And it was pretty, he was pretty successful. I didn't feel like it was so uh, distracting that I wasn't able to keep up with the rest of the plot, which is a feat. Nice. The lighting guy just, like, dims the light a little <laughs> tiny bit on him. Yeah, exactly. Just to they keep found, like, everybody the one in the audience looks... sane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they, like, found, like, the one angle where he's, like, not as as handsome, probably, and kept that at that. Yeah. Like, Boy, I wonder like, if the listeners were expecting us to swoon over Billy Zane for a good <laughs> chunk of this. <laughs> you gotta be, man, right? <laughs> it's kind of hard yeah, not to. Yeah, you had to know this was coming. Yeah. But I guess we could move on from that. Yeah, yeah, I guess we'd better. We'll be here all night. Yeah. <laughs> so this film begins as all episodes of HBO's Tales from the Crypt began. A panning shot that begins outside of a decrepit old mansion, enters the cobwebby, creepy home, and descends the stairs down to a creepy cellar where the Crypt Keeper pops out of a casket and cackles. We then move on to what's kind of like a frame story for this, even though it's not an anthology film. 
there's a woman who's just killed her husband and she's rapidly decomposing him in the basement in some sort of vat of acid. She takes a bath only to have her husband return from the dead and he wields an axe over her head. She screams and the director yells cut. The director turns out to be the crypt keeper. He's like sitting in the director's chair and in a very meta way, he talks about how Tales from the Crypt has made it to the big screen. Um, makes all his usual puns with plays on creepy words, boys and ghouls, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then we, we get down to it from there. He transitions to the the main story. But Ashwin, what did you think of this little uh, silly framing story here? I loved it, man. It immediately like brought back the nostalgia of, of the TV show and like the things, uh, like as you mentioned, you would typically look out for in the show, like nudity, obviously, and then uh, the, the comedy aspect on top and kind of schlocky. Uh, so it's it kind of a great like kick, uh, like a, yeah, like a, a blast from the past of like kind of remembering what's so great about the show. So I, I enjoyed it. What about you? Yeah, I did too for all the same reasons. And I kind of felt like I was approaching this review steeped in nostalgia and hopefully you wouldn't be because I had a feeling you hadn't seen this film. But oh. um, but I guess to some degree you are just because of the uh, the tiebacks to the, the show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that reminded me of something. But even, like, outside of that, like, it's it's funny enough, isn't it? And, and like, uh, even, like, the setup, like, you, you don't see her killing the husband and you just see, like, this body get out of, like, this vat of uh, blood or whatever. So uh, I, I kind of thought that that was, like, pretty cool, like, pacing and, and styling to, like, kick off a movie. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it would have been a good opening for any movie. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And the, the cheekiness is fun. Right, yeah. Cheeky is a good word for it. Yeah. Um, so we transition to the, the true story, the main story of the film, which opens with a car chase between William Sadler's character, Breaker, and Billy Zane's character, uh who never is named in the film. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah. Both cars collide with each other and catch fire. Breaker escapes the wreckage, and when the cops arrive on the scene, uh, he is gone, but Billy Zane emerges from the wreckage unscathed. And they put him in the back of the vehicle and begin the search for Breaker. And Breaker has made his way to a dumpy boarding house, I guess, kind of like hotel slash boarding house. Yeah, I couldn't tell what, what this place was. It's like in the middle of nowhere, basically. And uh, yeah, they have rooms and, and then they also have like women of the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or at least a woman of the night. Yeah, yeah, one. On, yeah. And this was a cool setting. It's a, like an old mission, like an old church um, and a spooky setting. Yeah. And so, yeah, he comes in and we meet a ragtag cast of characters, um, including, I guess, who live there, really. Um, so that includes Willie, the town drunk, played by Dick Miller. Wally, a postal worker with a crush on Cordelia, who is the sex worker who frequents the boarding house. Maybe lives there, too. It was hard to tell, always. Um, we've also got her asshole boyfriend, Roach, played by Thomas Hayden Church. Irene, the hotel owner slash manager, and her ex-con employee, Geraldine, played by Jada Pinkett Smith. So, uh, uh, you said Wally lives there? Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't... Oh, yeah, yeah. That makes sense later. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Cool. So, what are your thoughts on this cast of characters and this setup so far? Um, pretty random, kind of thin, but, uh, yeah, yeah, like, uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was fine. Uh, like, I, I obviously like, uh, I liked, I liked how they were positioning Jada. There's almost like kind of like a Cinderella vibe going on here where she was just like kind of, uh, made to like do all the work, uh, on behalf of everyone else. And so I, I, I kind of felt like they were building her up to be like this person who's kind of neglected by everyone else, but ends up, uh, being a hero or something. So I kind of felt, felt that way, but otherwise it, it just felt okay. What about you? Um, well, as a kid, I thought that this car chase scene was so awesome. I think largely because they were playing Hey Man, Nice Shot by Filter. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> so great to hear that song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in reality, the car chase, it was fine, but it was pretty plain. Um, and yeah, Billy Zane, such a badass. Uh, and I actually, to be honest, I loved the whole like cast of characters here and the actors. I, I mm-hmm. dug the setup. Yeah, uh, and and like kind of Wally like being in love with uh, Cordelia, and like how she's like kind of flaunting herself to like everyone else in the or like yeah to to uh, this guy who comes in. Yeah, yeah, she's definitely uh, smitten with um, with William Sadler's character Breaker. Yeah, yeah, I really liked uh, Roach. I thought he was kind of a hilarious character. 
Yeah. He's yeah. <laughs> such a deep. It was funny. She like Cordelia kind of drapes herself across the table table while Breaker is eating to like flirt with him. And there's also a cat on the table. <laughs> and Irene yells, "Hey, goddamn it! Get that pussy off the table!" And Cordelia yeah. jumps off. <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not always a joke that would get me, but it was just played and executed really well. It was. And then, and then there's a part where she's uh, telling Roach about like the, her edible panties, and he's like, I don't want pieces of penny in my salad later or something. Or, <laughs> or he does or something. Yeah, whatever it was, it was, it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was pretty funny. But I, yeah, I don't know if I was on board with like the mystery that, uh, that the main character is bringing along with him, because you know he's kind of on the run, but you, you don't really know why. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, and that slowly gets revealed. Um, the police enter with Billy Zane, and they're after Breaker not only for the crash, but because they have a feeling he was uh, guilty of an attempted car theft that's been reported in the area. And Billy Zane also tells the cops that Breaker's stolen something that belongs to him. And that's when we are introduced to this very archaic, intricate key, uh, which is which the plot will center around. Um, this like artifact that looks shaped like a key. The cops decide to take both of them in. Um, Billy Zane seems to be thinking he's not going to be hauled in by the police. Uh, I was really surprised. Like a bit, like his character like was basically like telling police, "Oh, you got to go after this guy. You got to go find this key and stuff." And they were kind of just like following his instructions up to that point, right? Yeah, yeah. Which was a little strange. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I guess he was the only one still there, and he was cooperating at the scene of the crime. <laughs> Yeah, he had that going for him. Yeah, and I think they were kind of using him to help them find Breaker. Sure, sure. Because then they revealed to him, like, hey, your your car was stolen too, so we're taking both of you in. Yeah, got it. Right. And that he's like, sense. all right, well, I'm kind of done messing around with this. Turns around and punches the sheriff in the face, and his fist goes right through the sheriff's head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and it, like, gets stuck on there, and he's wiggling his arm around while our cast of characters looks on and horror and disgust i think you even see irene like puke onto the camera a little bit oh yeah <laughs> and billy zane rips this dude's head off right that's so, that pretty awesome what were your thoughts here uh i i loved it man this, this is like great action it was like and the effects like didn't look terrible it was, it was just like kind of comedic but it was, it was like funny i feel like it was meant to be very funny so it was, yeah it was, it was yeah good. i think the effects look pretty good yeah yeah for for what they were going for uh, i enjoyed that and I just, I thought it was a sweet, like, balls-to-the-wall way to introduce horror. Oh, like, yeah, sure. Aside from that um, frame story, we hadn't seen anything horror-related. We're about 25 minutes into the movie, and, like, our very first introduction is Billy Zane punching through a guy's face, so. Yeah, and, you know, I I wasn't sure up until this point if Billy Zane was a good guy or, like, a, like a demon, I guess, which, which we find out later. But um, th- this was kind of, like, the point where we knew, right, that he was probably on the wrong side of the law. <laughs> you see someone punch through someone's face and you go hey he's on the wrong side of the law <laughs> somebody get yeah. him make him pay a fine or something <laughs> no. at least give him a ticket or something yeah <laughs> uh yeah yeah because I, 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 I mean do you feel like it was obvious up until this point it's so hard to think of it now just because i know this movie so well but uh yeah i mean in the intro it's very um a gray area who who's who and why they're chasing each other and who you should be rooting for because you also see um william sadler try to steal a car so right yeah and, and i think billy zane uh, tells the police that you have bigger problems than me if if that guy's made his way to your town you're gonna have a lot of like trouble out there and, and we've seen like some kind of weird stuff going on on william sadler's uh hands so uh yeah i i just feel like there's like a lot of mystery on who's the good guy who's the bad guy in this Right, yeah, he's got this weird, like, star tattoo, it seems, almost, on the palm of his hand that he's looking at. So you're wondering what's going on. Yeah, right. Um, so this is when all hell breaks loose. Breaker ultimately gets Zane, forces Zane out of the house by wielding this key artifact as a weapon. It seems to, like, freak him out, and the touch of it burns him. Um, he's now Zane outside the house produces a team of demons from his own green blood and they proceed to try to penetrate the house while Breaker is rushing to all the entryways to seal it with this liquid inside the key artifact um, and the explanation of this key is slowly revealed to us viewers throughout the second act of the film um, but I'll, I'll just I'll get into it pretty soon but what were you going to say Ash? 
Um, the uh, what do you think of like that green blood? Because we, we start to see that like throughout the film, and, and I think this is the first time we see it like coming out of Billy Zane. Uh, it's just kind of like this neon, like fluorescent green thing that makes puddles. Did did, did you like that? Yeah, silly, cheesy comic booky. Yeah, I was down. How about you? Yeah, yeah, I liked it. It felt pretty like stylized. Uh, I was into it. One thing I love about Billy Zane's character here is that he seems so relieved that he can stop pretending to be a Texan. <laughs> like once he's found out, he like throws the cowboy hat off and yeah, she's like, ugh. Yeah, I know. Uh, and yeah, he like I, I feel like he's just kind of like annoyed, like overall with like uh, with like the rest of the cast and, and like uh, like what they're doing and like you know how, how difficult they're being. So I, I I like that whole vibe he gives off. Like he's like kind of over it. He just needs to get that key, and he, he doesn't like give really. He doesn't like give a shit about anything else. Yeah, it's so cool because he's he's menacing, but at the same time, mostly he just overtly he's basically just kind of annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> she sounds like go home basically yeah yeah like every time he tries to like seduce one of the characters he's just like come on we all know this is going a certain way like make it easier on yourself like yeah. let's just wrap this up <laughs> yeah I feel like I could relate a lot to that like you know that, that, that's like how I uh, deal with like work conflicts you know it's felt very relatable <laughs> yeah um, um, oh, what, what, uh, did you already mention the demons that popped out um, I, I mentioned that he created demons, but I didn't get into them too, too much. I mean, they're like full body ghouls. They almost look like a, somewhere keeper, right? a cross between a gremlin and a uh, xenomorph. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought they were pretty creepy. Um, and, and I, I don't know if like you're never like kind of zooming in on one like long enough to like pay attention to the details, but they seem pretty good. Yeah, I agree. I think they looked really good. Yeah. 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 A lot of a lot of practical effects in this movie. I mean, there were quite a lot of demons. There were a lot of kills and gore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all of it really well done. I thought. Right. Right. Um, for the purposes of our plot rundown, I'll I'll get into the explanation of this key, even though Breaker doesn't really explain it until later. But when the universe and Earth were created by God, demons used seven keys to try to control the universe. Once God found out what was happening, he created light to scatter the demons, and he also scattered the keys all over the universe and directed a thief to fill the one located on earth with Jesus' blood when Jesus was crucified. And since then, the key full of Jesus' blood has been passed down through generations to a protector known as a demon knight, uh, and Breaker eventually reveals that his general in World War I gave it to him, which would make Breaker like 100 years old, even though he looks like 30 or 40. Uh, the demons have found all the other keys in the world, or in the universe, and this is the last one that they need to gain complete control of the universe. So basically, them in this house keeping this key safe is the only thing from keeping the demons to control the universe. You ever and, see... Oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm on my little roll. Oh. I'm antsy. You, you go ahead. Well, I mean, have you ever seen, like, um, the Endgame and, and uh, the, you know, like, the last Marvel movies? I never saw Endgame. I saw oh. the one before that, and then I just was like, I, I don't want to spend three hours seeing what how this wraps up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the one before that, though, wasn't that a similar plot? Like, isn't Thor basically out there trying to collect some like uh, finite number of stones or five stones? I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty familiar story. Lord of the Rings, too. Oh yeah, yeah, right. People trying yeah. to put things together. Oh, so so th- there's seven, but there's only one on Earth in this situation. Yes, correct. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, so basically like I won't run through every detail of the plot but the main action of the second act consists of Billy Zane slowly trying to tempt each character to let him in and or get the key for him Um, and it's done in these creepy yet sexy Billy Zane voiceovers um, and each character kind of tends to see visions Um, so for example Cordelia is told and he kind of speaks to each of their personalities when he tempts them like Cordelia right after a fight with her shitty boyfriend is told by Billy Zane that like he could truly love her for her and she's so beautiful she succumbs and she's turned into a demon and then she tempts Wally who's got a crazy crush on her by acting like she's super into him uh Willie the alcoholic is transported to a bar full of topless women and free-flowing alcohol uh, so he gets turned. The owner, who loses an arm at some point in the movie, has offered her arm back on like a silver platter by oh, Billy yeah. Zane. 
Um, Jerry Lynn, who we previously saw a poster for Paris in her room, is kind of persuaded, like, you could travel the whole world. Like, I'll let you go free and give you all this if you just give me the key. Yeah. Um, her 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 uh her one uh kind of felt like a 90s like r&b uh music video like their it, curtains are kind of like uh blowing in the in the in the breeze and stuff it I'm really like, did yeah <laughs> right. uh, i also cool. felt hoosier was like the creepiest because then like the picture of her on the wall like in paris or something there was a giant picture of her on the wall and it started bleeding and then there was, was like, like a body behind it or something being yeah there were hands like pushing from behind it yeah, that was pretty creepy. I like that. That was good imagery. Yeah. Um, so the story proceeds. Um, Jerilyn, by the way, is a standout because she she resists that temptation um, and is not turned into a demon. Roach, uh, who's always been out to only save himself, cuts a deal with Billy Zane that he's going to break the blood seal on the doorway to the upstairs uh, if Zane lets him go free. Um so he does that. He wipes it off with the sponge that Billy Zane <laughs> produces from his mouth comedically. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Zane, of course, was lying. Uh, Billy Zane's character is credited as the collector, even though I don't know if they ever say that in the movie. Hmm. Yeah. Right. So the collector says, hey, by the way, I was lying. And the demons descend on Thomas Hayden Church and destroy him. And then so that leaves what who's left in the upstairs like attic portion. It's it's um, Breaker, Geraldine, Irene, the owner, and this deputy, the the last cop who didn't get his uh, face punched through. And and I think you've got like a little kid. Uh, I forget what oh his yeah. Name is. yeah, yeah, and the kid, and the kid eventually turns and mortally wounds Breaker. Meanwhile, downstairs, Irene and the deputy like sacrifice themselves with all these grenades that they found in Wally, the postal service workers room. Um, that was a dark thing. Like he was storing up all those weapons in the attic. Cause he was going to go to like war with the post office or something. Yeah. That was pretty nuts. Yeah. That's kind of fucked up to think of that. Hitting on some postal worker stereotypes there. Yeah. Yeah. And he was kind of a sympathetic character before that. Cause he, I know, you know, I know. he's got like puppy dog eyes for uh, Cordelia and he stands up for her when Roach is a dickhead. Yeah, I thought he was a really great guy, and he was like, I, I was really happy to see him like winning over Cordelia, and then he turns out to be kind of like this, uh, yeah, kind of kind of an extremist up there. Yeah, I was I was thinking in my mind that he wasn't going to end up going through with his his plan. <laughs> That's a good way to think about it. <laughs> um, so now, yeah, Breaker and Geraldine are left as the only survivors with Breaker dying. Uh, on the floor, and before his death, he fills the key with his blood and makes Geraldine the next demon knight. And she, being an ex-con, protests that she's not the right type of person for this. And Breaker says, he tried to seduce you, didn't he? And she says, he tried. And then he goes, well, you're exactly the right kind of person, because she resisted the temptation. Uh, In the climax, she defeats Zane by first covering herself in Breaker's blood, which is now poisoned to Zane, and it burns him when he touches her. And then she later sneaks some of it into her mouth and at the last minute spits some into his eyes and he's destroyed. <laughs> After uh, he's like kind of... And, and there's like a weird scene where he's like falling in love with her and trying to get her to like admit that she loves him or something. Yeah, and he gets this like giant fire boner. That, <laughs> yeah, the fire boner. That he apologizes for. What did you think of that scene? That, it was just so crazy, man. Because like, I mean, it's coming from a scene where he just like gave her a shower uh, under like a shower curtain. So it's just like these really ridiculous things happen. Uh, and, and then, and then, yeah, his fire boner pops out, and he like apologizes for it. But I, I was, lo- I was eating this stuff up, man. This like Billy Zane just being like this crazy, like goofy, like insane demon. Uh, I was, I was all on board with that. What, what, what did you think? I thought the fire boner and him, his confession of love for her, didn't quite like make sense or add up. Um, yeah. But it was fine. I didn't bother me too much. I was just like, huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, the shower was to wash all the all of Breaker's blood off of her so that he could touch her. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, you don't feel like he's he's kind of like this goofy guy that just doesn't care about anything. And like he, he sees a girl he likes and he, he just like maybe he doesn't have the social skills like other people have. And like this is just his way of kind of trying to be on her, you know, like, yeah, be, be charming or something. Yeah, maybe. I guess there was some like additional character development there. Some humanization yeah. of him. Right, right, right. That's kind of what it felt like. But it, it so, was really cool when when she split that blood on him. Like you see him going to like his what I imagine is his natural form, right? 
Yeah, and I, he turns into a demon and then dies. And yeah, both of those were really badass scenes. So she emerges from a corner covered in blood, and he's like, oh, look at you, like you're hurt. And then after he gets like burned by touching her, she's like, it's not my blood. And then, yeah, pretty badass when she sneaks that, that blood into her mouth and spits it on him. Yeah, yeah, that was really cool. Um, and this, the, what I hinted at before... In that horror noir documentary, they allude to the fact that Jada Pinkett Smith is essentially the first contemporary black final girl. Oh, no way. This, I couldn't, I tried to research this a little bit. I don't know technically what contemporary means, but this seems to be true. Like, there are black women who make it to the end of a movie before 1995, yeah. but they don't really seem to follow the final girl arc. Mm, okay. um, from, from what I could find. If anyone knows of, of something feel free to uh, correct me, but most of the ones I saw, they weren't really technically final girls, even though they, they were black women that lived to the end of the movie. Sure. Wow, that's awesome. What, what like, a title to hold? Yeah, and not only is she the final girl, but she's the chosen one to protect the universe. Right. That's, that's awesome. Two for one. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to think that that hadn't happened until 1995, but uh, also very believable. I know, I know. That's, that's, that's insane. Uh, Wow, what what year was uh, Blackula? Was that was that after this? That was, I believe, nineteen seventy two. Oh, okay. And you didn't have a, a final black woman in that one? Um, no, not from what I rem. No, definitely not. I don't want to spoil the ending of that, but uh, yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't. We just we just watched it and I forgot what the ending was. Yeah, I know, I know. These are, things are all <laughs> starting to blend together. Yeah, yeah. Wow, they yeah, I mean, that, that that's awesome. Yeah. So after she kills Billy Zane, we see her leaving on the bus the next morning, and after she gets on, she turns around and seals the door with some of the blood in the key, which is now Breakers. Um, And that seals the door, and then at the next stop, we see this guy dressed similar to how Billy Zane was dressed. He's about to get on, looks at the door, thinks better of it, and says, I'll take the next one. And then we see him slowly following the bus on foot, whistling the theme song to, to Tales from the Crypt. And then we cut back to this silly Crypt Keeper wraparound where he's at the red carpet, theatrical opening of the Demon Knight, and it's just kind of silly. <laughs> and they cut off his head for some reason. Yeah. Final cuts. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, so cheesy, but, but nice. Yeah, yeah. This I, it's so rare to like because uh, yeah, I feel like usually this stuff would like annoy me, but they, I, I just feel like it's the it's like a brand of Tales of the Crypt to be really cheesy and like have these like lame puns, but like spoken through that character somehow like it works for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got a great voice. I forgot to write down the name of the guy who does his voice, and I can't can't think of his name now. But yeah, it's a it's a great great character. Sure. Yeah, he is. Great. So, what do you think of this movie? Uh, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it. You know, I mean, production value, there were parts where I'm like, uh, you know, this kind of looks like a made-for-TV movie, um, but then, like, it was also, like, kind of campy and fun, so I, I didn't really mind that, and then, uh, you know, some of the scares, like, a lot of the, the times where, like, you have a main character who turns into a monster, uh, I loved, like, those attack scenes, and there's one part where they're in the attic and this kid turns into a monster, and they're kind of flipping back and forth between that scene and, like, comic book pages, which I imagine are from probably the original comic, right? Well, this story was not from the comics, so I think they, it, oh. it looked like the original comics, but it, it wasn't actually. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it was just like kind of stylized uh, in that manner, and it was kind of cool right. to see it like uh, reflected in a, in a comic alongside of what was going on. For uh, sure. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I, I love the effects, and I, I thought the story was interesting enough, and uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a hokey uh, premise, like someone's carrying around the blood of Jesus with them all, all these years, because um, that, that's what he had, right? Yeah, yeah, it was the blood of Jesus intermixed with all the uh, the demon knights who passed away before him. Got it, yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting storyline, and it felt felt pretty original, and then cool to see her as, like, the final girl. I loved her character and her acting, and then Billy Zane, I think, was really kind of, like, a, a big part of, like, why I love this film. His, his acting and his uh, energy on, on set was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I had a really good time watching this. How about you? Agreed, man. Like, uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised because I don't think I'd seen this since my early teens. So I was, I was excited and hoping it wouldn't let me down. Um, and yeah, like mm-hmm. you said, Billy Zane, it's just, just incredible. I can't imagine this movie with anybody but him playing that part. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, and he, he makes like such a big impact on the film too. 
Yeah, and I mean, I do think he was creepy sometimes, like maybe in Geraldine's temptation scene the most. Mm-hmm. Um, in yeah. some of the temptation scenes, he was just kind of silly, be it maybe he's a bartender or pretending to be a waiter serving Irene her arm on a platter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, his voice, when and when he tempted Cordelia, like outside her window, just this like deep voiceover, it, it was kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah, it was creepy. Uh, do you mean it was creepy like in terms of like how... Um, how attractive that was to it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that a part of it? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I was I was very comfortable with that. Yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I just thought it was a little bit creepy. To, um, yeah. Not that I don't think this was a uh, scary movie at all, but it had enough creepiness to it that um, that it kept it fun. Yeah. You know, one one part I thought was actually kind of scary is like when they go into that mine shaft when they're trying to escape and they Ooh. run into like those other like demons down there and like that kid is like running away from his parents who have turned into demons. That that kind of scared me a little bit. Yeah, I got like a bit of a jump scare and it wasn't really played specifically as a hard jump scare, but it got me. And they they uh both those demons did look very creepy. Yeah, yeah, right. The green eyes and everything. Yeah. And I thought this was funny. Like the comedy held up. Just like some cheesy lines. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Little stuff. They, they kind of made sure something kind of funny happened every few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Especially, especially, I feel like, especially in the beginning when they're like setting up the story and introducing the characters, a lot of, a lot of comedy there, as you kind of pointed out, which, yeah. which went a long way. I thought the chemistry among these characters was really good, but what did you think about that? Uh, yeah, I liked it. You know, one character I didn't really get on board with was uh, Breaker. I mean, he's he's kind of like this rough guy who's like this mystery that you don't really know like what he's doing. But yeah, he gets revealed slowly. But he's not like 100% likable or like uh, his relationship with the other characters is more just kind of telling them, no, we got to do this. We got to go here. So I, I just feel like he was maybe the least interesting out of everyone. And he was like the main character. But every, everyone else I, I had a good time with. Uh, did you Did you like his character? Um, I did like his character, but that, that's a valid point. Maybe he was jaded after like a hundred years of being the guardian <laughs> of this, this key. Yeah. So is it the key that keeps you like at whatever age you get it at? That's what you stay at? Yeah. Whenever you get the key, you, you stop aging. Damn. I think that, that explains Jada today. That's <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Holy shit. This movie is real. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> She's got the Christ of blood with, or the blood of Christ with her. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also thought the whole like plot mechanism that Billy Zane was going to tempt everybody kept every character from being kind of just a cardboard cutout to fuel body count. Like, oh yeah, they may not have been super complex, but they they had their their flaws that he could tempt them with, and they had sure. their, their good aspects too that made you that were just you know in the screenplay so that you would at least like most of the characters. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Like, yeah, the, the body count like felt uh, like pretty valued in terms of uh, yeah, no throwaway characters really. That was, that right, was appreciated. Right. Yeah, it was a high body count, but you didn't really want anybody to die. Right, right. Well, I, I don't know. Like after learning about Wally, I mean, did you feel less bad about his death? <laughs> yeah, I guess I did feel less bad, but he he was already long gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, did you like uh, the, all all the effects through the film? I really liked the effects. Uh, I think the biggest drawback to this movie for me on this viewing, the effects were great. But what did a disservice to the effects is that the editing during some of the action sequences was really choppy to me. Did you notice that? Yeah, they, they, they would pull away. Like, I mean, you wouldn't be able to like see a lot of it, uh, which I thought they did that maybe to cover up, like maybe not going into the details or close-ups on the effects to make up for like lower production values. Um, I, I couldn't tell, but do you mean like like the scene where Cordelia attacks Wally, for example? Like you don't really see a lot of that action happening, right? Yeah, yeah. Or if you do, it's just like you don't stay on shots as long as you're used to staying on shots, and it's just like, wait, what even happened there? It just like yeah. moves so fast. Um, I think you're I think you're on to something there. I don't know for a fact. I haven't seen the commentary on this film or anything like that, but considering that the editing was pretty good in all other aspects of the film all the other moments and only bad during the carnage i know the effects guys always talk about how the trouble with some of these practical effects especially for a movie where your budget is tight you've got one time to do it and then you know the mold is destroyed you know you can't oh, yeah. you can't make five fake heads <laughs> just to do the same scene over and over again yeah yeah right right so if something goes wrong you've either got to cut that out entirely or pull away really quick yeah before the the uh the viewer <laughs> the metaphorical zipper is revealed or whatever 
Sure, sure. Yeah, like, like, uh, was it Irene that lost her arm? Uh, mm-hmm. in that one scene, like, yeah, I, I don't really recall. Like, did did something? Oh, someone like grabbed her or it tore it off or something? Or yeah, what, what? demon grabbed it and kind of tore it off. I feel like he kind of maybe wedged it against the doorway and pull it off. I, I can't oh, okay. remember. Yeah, it, it did feel pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. That that was my biggest drawback to the film that slightly affected the viewing experience. But the effects themselves, I thought, looked really good, and they really aimed aimed high on them. Like a lot of extreme stuff happens. You, so one thing we didn't mention how you killed the demons was to shoot them in the eyes. And at one point, maybe it was Cordelia's character. I think breaker shoots her in the back of the head and her eyeballs pop out oh. <laughs> and they like yeah. briefly stick to the wall and then fall to the ground. And he has to shoot them on the ground <laughs> to make oh, yeah. her die. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's a yeah. character who gets decapitated, but they're still controlling their body and, yeah. Oh, and, and that kid takes the head and like slams it down on some like antlers or something. Oh, yeah. 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 And his head, like his jaw basically unhinges and uh, he's like chomping down on Unbreaker. Oh, the kid, right? When he becomes a monster? Yeah. Yeah. That was a really I, I, cool I, scene too when Jada defeats that kid demon. She like, you know, it's that move where you jump on to grab onto some vertical bar and use that to like leverage your double kick. Oh yeah. She like kicks him out the window and the window's been sealed with the blood. So he like explodes. Yeah, that was awesome. And it was really awesome. The nice little touch was that you then see his like charged sneaker hit the ground oh, outside yeah. of the boarding house. Yeah, that was pretty sty- stylish. I like that. that yeah, awesome. that was a nice touch. There were many little things like that throughout this movie that were nice touches. You could tell it was yeah. made with care. I mean, it's a big, silly, hokey schlocky movie but it was uh it was made with made with heart and care yeah yeah exactly and like the nice like nice touches on top uh that they i think go a long way yeah so yeah agreed uh well zero to five fist impaled heads what do you give this oh man uh probably i i think i think i'd give it four fist impaled heads uh just because yeah it's it's a really fun watch and uh, I i think it actually holds up and and smart dialogue and good characters what about you yeah, I agree with that. I give it a 4.5 fist impaled heads. I think the only thing keeping it from a 5 is just that that, that choppy editing at the action scenes. I, I hate to deduct for that, but if that had been better, this would have just been, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that would have kind of changed the, the course of the movie a bit if you got, got like more up and close on those action scenes. That would yeah, cool. or if they had just gone a, a bit smoother. Yeah, sure, sure. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, you make a good point. The, the dialogue was really clever and witty and fun. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how like bad of a guy Roach was. Like I kept, I kept thinking like maybe he's gonna like you know uh, turn around or something and like try to redeem himself, but he never does. <laughs> it's such a yeah. He's, he's a terrible person till the end. Yeah, yeah, but also slightly believable. Um, you know, it's very pragmatic. Like hey, I can just give the guy the key and get out of here. But yeah, yeah, that's true. Also, then you know, the universe ends. Yeah. Premise-wise, uh, one thing that kind of bugged me the whole time is, like, all they had to do was stay inside for the nights, and, like, by the next morning, at, when sun would, when the sun would come up, they would be fine, right? Yeah, but he I, it got complicated because he kept tempting people who were already within the blood boundary, and then they would turn into a demon. Yeah, yeah. But, like, imagine if they'd all just stayed in one room together, then... It would have been tough to tempt an individual person. Like, I think they got in trouble because, like, one of them would, like, go off into one room and get tempted there or something. Or they'd, like, split up. When all he had, he could have just, like, you know, put that blood around, like, a circle around themselves and they would have been fine, right? Yeah, I mean, a blood barrier around them. But it only, it, like, seemed to know when a doorway existed. They would use one drop and it would seal the whole doorway. Okay. Um, so yeah. to do it completely around themselves would waste the entire vial, but sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's, there's ways you could pick it apart. Uh, yeah. Like go, go into one of the motel rooms and then just seal the windows and the door. And then, uh, I, I feel like if they all stayed together and then they would have gotten through the night, I, I just feel like between, within the group, there was like a lot of, uh, obviously like, uh, people weren't all on board with like the idea and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that's also partly um, part of that may have been he didn't really explain what was going on until oh yeah he's nearly midway pretty, through the movie yeah yeah he's being pretty mysterious up front that makes yeah sense. so there were there was a lot of doubting him and thinking like what are we doing just taking advice from this guy like 
and there's these underground tunnels we can get out of here and that added complications and yeah sure yeah that makes sense uh one other thing uh question for you um earlier on when the police uh find him at the hotel or whatever or the boarding uh room or whatever um they mentioned that uh this guy like his id like in his name is someone who died five years ago what did how can you explain that what that was um, I guess he probably had to find ways to uh, legally exist without being 120 years old or whatever he would have been. Mm. Oh, and okay. not so aging. You know, people would have started to catch on. So he was probably a, a drifter, you know, finding ways to uh, to Steal, blend stealing. in and go, go unnoticed. Got it. So he's like stealing identities and he, he's not actually a breaker then, right? Well, I think he was breaker, but you know, if... What are people going to do if you're like, hey, you know, my one buddy Breaker has looked the same for 90 years. Oh, oh I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That and who knows? Sense. He may have had to move around quite a bit to avoid these demons. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So basically, Jada Pinkett Smith in real life is probably going to have to start doing some traveling and stealing <laughs> some IDs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you ever watch uh, The Red Table? No, I haven't. Oh, it's it's a it's a nice talk show she does, and it's like her and her daughter, and then her mother. So it's it's kind of cool to get like three generations. On, oh, like, one okay. Talk I show. thought they had a podcast together, but maybe it's oh. a maybe I'm I was thinking it's a podcast and it's a show. Uh, yeah, or maybe it's all it's. It could be both too. I, I know like right. there, there's videos you can find of them talking. Gotcha. It's, it's a good one. Okay, cool. Well, that is an average of a four point two five rating from us. So so we dug yeah. it. That's pretty high, especially compared to like a 30-some percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I do not understand that rating. and It's, it's one of the um, biggest gaps that I remember seeing as far as movies we've discussed on this show of like the user rating being way higher than yeah. it's 38 for the critics and 64 for the users. So if you sure. listen to the users, that would be fresh. Yeah, right, right. On their little scale. But yeah, 38%, n- no way. And a great example of why I do think Rotten Tomatoes is, you know, for all the shit it gets in film nerd circles, and I think it deserves, it can be a useful useful tool if you're just like, hey, like, do I want to check out this movie on a Friday night? Me and my wife mm-hmm. are sitting here eating popcorn. Like, yeah. But there are still so many instances, the more I start paying attention to it, the more I realize, hey, some movies I love are have abysmal ratings and some incredibly rated movies on Rotten Tomatoes are awful. Yeah, yeah, right, so, right. And it definitely yeah. panders to very middle-of-the-road crowd-pleaser type material. It does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this this might not be for everyone, uh, for sure. Right, uh, right, but the people that this movie was made for are going to love it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, do you, you don't feel like people who, like, in the 90s were, like, adults that maybe went out to see this film would be disappointed compared to like people today who are feeling more of like that nostalgic factor and see it and like you know uh, view it and kind of appreciate it a bit more. Do you, do you think there's some of that like just a change in time and look being able to like appreciate it more in uh, later years? Mm, I don't know. I mean, it, it made twenty million, not great, but not horrible for a movie like this. Um, I would imagine Tales from the Crypt fans probably wouldn't have been disappointed. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. Hard to say. Yeah. 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 No, it definitely follows like a lot of the, the same things that work in that show. So that sure. makes sense. Well, man, anything else? Uh, no, I'm good. Cool. Well, that has been our discussion of Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, everybody. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. That really helps other people find our show. Um, If you want to connect with us, you can go to horrormovieclub.com and check out the social links drop-down to find us on Facebook or Twitter or join our Discord server where we've always got some good conversation going with fellow movie fans, specifically horror movie fans. Um, and if you want to, uh, keep your eyes peeled for that Twitch link, that's where we'll post it on Twitter or Facebook. Um, you can also contact us through the contact form on our website, horrormovieclub.com. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. You can check her out on Etsy.com by searching Amy Mae Popart, all one word, and find some great horror art there. Um, let's see, what am I missing? We've got a Patreon, patreon.com slash horrormovieclub. 
where we've got some bonus material out there. And if you want to support the show financially, you can sign up to pay a buck every month. If you just want to pay a few bucks, you can cancel it shortly after you sign up. And until next time, uh, if you find yourself at a bar that is patronized exclusively by half-naked members of the gender or genders that you're attracted to, I would unfortunately advise you to get the hell out of there. (laughs) Some fire boner is going to be popping up. (laughs) Get your fire boner out of there. Yeah.